when I was a missionary, I, I served in Rome. I got on a train and a woman got on the train behind us. So me and my companion are sitting there. We make eye contact with this woman. There's no question that we all see each other. And in that moment, she takes out some stuff and starts shooting heroin. She, so I'm in Naples, Italy, which beautiful place, but some, some people are destitute, right? And she's shooting heroin on this train. She needed that heroin. She did not care that we saw her engaging in that activity. It didn't matter to her. She just needed it. Now, every person I've ever asked this question to has given me essentially the same answer. What would you do if someone walked in on you viewing pornography? They all say, oh, I would stop immediately. I would hide it. I would pretend like I wasn't watching it. I would put myself in a position to where uh, I, I was able to deny that I was doing anything. Nobody ever goes, oh, hey, one, one moment. This is my favorite part. I just need to finish this. I've never had anybody say that. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. And, you know, sometimes I like to let people know how these different episodes come together. If you remember Amanda Louder, she was on the show, oh, back in the 500s. She was episode 583. She hosts the Sex for Saints podcast. Uh, she sent me a Facebook message that said, hey, you know who you should talk to is uh, Zach and Darcy Spafford. And I said, OK. And so here we are. Welcome, you guys. Hey. And and she told us about you, like, last week. And yet you're still here, so I appreciate yeah, you guys <laughs> uh, being willing to do that. Now, uh, before we turned on the mic, I, I found out a few things uh, about Zach and Darcy Spafford, uh, one of which is that you guys have eight kids, and so I would just like to start here. Later in the episode, we'll probably talk about um, a unique approach at porn and porn recovery. We'll talk about how that might affect a relationship, but eight kids we can't move anything past but by choice i presume we're doing the eight the eight kid thing let's talk about that yeah we made them all yeah. they're ours they're all ours okay and uh, when we lived in california we were like i don't know celebrities okay because yeah. we would people... walk through costco and people would literally i'm not kidding you stop and with their fingers pointing at us count all of our children like they couldn't do it in their heads right and that so was many. when we had six. So when we go back to visit, we like to go to Costco and Westlake and just let people have a show. My, mine's blown. So I have to ask, though, because it is more and more an anomaly. Uh, was it a thing where you guys both came from large families and decided that that's what you wanted to do? Was it one time, uh, you know, God whispered, hey, have enough to fill two cars? Like, where did this come from? I'm the I'm the fifth the fourth of five and she's the fifth of five and then her parents adopted three little girls from Kazakhstan. Okay, so there's eight kids. So there's um, eight kids in her family. And my family is not LDS. I'm a convert. Okay, so a little interesting. So so we had four kids. It was boy girl boy girl, and it was like oh we have like this perfect mix of children. Everything's even. Mm -hmm. All we need is a golden retriever. We're all set. And she's <laughs> like no 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 seriously I just I want to have one more. Now this and is Darcy that you're talking Darcy, about. Yeah. yeah, Darcy says I this. I always sure wanted we... six kids. Yeah. So, okay. so she come... says I want one more. Wait, and why we get... always six? Hold on, hold on. This is so strange to me. <laughs> Not, and I don't. And I, you know, you guys pointed out that people look and point and go, "What the?" So why? What was it about six? Like two seems like you get a boy and a girl and you're done. What does a boy? What does a boy us look like? Perfect. What does a girl us look like? We're out. 
Yeah, I don't. I always wanted I a big family. Exactly I love is. babies. That's it. That I literally is the only thing. I'm a baby whisperer. That's literally it. She's like, I just need a small, squishy, cuddly thing to hold okay. on to okay. for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I started hours. babysitting for pay at age nine. Oh wow. Okay. So I just I've always loved babies. I've always loved kids, and I don't know. I just I didn't want to stop. And then there was yeah. part of me that was like. I just want to have as many as we have until I turn 35. And then once I'm 35, done. Like I yeah. didn't want to go past 35. Sure. Just because my mom adopted kids at 47. Mm-hmm. And so I saw what it was like, you know, raising kids. Yeah, hard. Well, you into your 60s. Yeah, like they're <laughs> really done. Hard. They're like, yeah, like somebody else take these kids now. I'm yeah. over them, you know? So I didn't want that. So, yeah. And okay. then- and so, then so so we have so she's like okay we'll just have one more and i'm like okay finally just one more that's fine one that's it uh-huh. we get to the ultrasound and i'd seen enough of these to know that like a circle with a bean in it means there's a baby there uh-huh. and there are two babies oh two yeah on this screen there's two circles <laughs> on this screen and i looked at her and i was like you lied to me <laughs> No, he said, you're a liar. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and the poor lady who's doing the ultrasound, she's like so confused. Yeah. Also, she she was an OB, but she was so excited. She was so excited and giddy because she's like, I never see a whole lot of spontaneous twins nowadays. Most people who are having twins, you know, are suspecting it. They're on Clomid or they're, yeah, you an know, IVF some kind of, thing. of yeah. treatment. And she's like, so she was so excited and giddy. And obviously, so was I. And we just laughed because what do you do at that point? Yeah. Well, you can't take them back at that point. That's the thing. <laughs> no, you can't. I, I love this idea. And then we'll move on. I love the idea that like you love babies um, and that each of your kids, you know, start to grow old and then you're not interested anymore and you hand them off to your husband and you're like, too old. Let's that's, make another. That's exactly what happened. Get another. They would get old. to a point and they'd be like. All right, I don't want to talk to you, Mom. Go, let me go hang out with Dad. He's more fun. Yeah, but ask who they want to talk to now. They, they oh, do want to talk me. to her now. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So they shift around like four. They become Dad. And then they come back to me, I would say, around 12. 13, yeah. yeah. Hey, what, did, what do you do around 12 and 13, Dad? Is that when you start to get lame? I expect them to do things. Uh yeah. And I'm probably more of a pushover. So, okay. 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 And yeah. they just like it's, to talk to it's me. It's really simple stuff. Like, you know, hang your towel up. Yeah. Simple to us, Zach. It's simple yeah. to us. To kids, it's, you want me to put it on the rack? The towel rack? Or you can't. It goes so well on the floor, though. The hook with my name on it? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Y- y- you guys live in, in St. George, and you mentioned, Darcy, you're a convert. Let's talk a little bit about that experience. How'd you find the church, and what made you go, yeah, okay? Yeah, so I, this is my story. I dated a guy. Uh, I spent the night at his house on prom night, and I went to church the next morning for the first time. Okay. So. The way you say that, it makes it sound like you had sex, but. We didn't, didn't. but that's that's the truth of it. My My parents were actually adopting kids in Kazakhstan, and so. There is this perfect opportunity to go to church because my parents wouldn't let me. Your parents wouldn't let you go to church prior to them adopting yeah. kids from Kazakhstan? Yeah. Like they, they were in a faraway country and they couldn't stop her. I guess. Oh. Yeah. So I so I went for the first time and okay. I liked it because I was like, these people are like speaking English. 
I understand what they're saying. She grew up Catholic. Uh, so. Okay. You know, I was very used to just like a Catholic priest getting up there and, you know, rambling on his teachings and like half a the time was it was it over like my a, head. Was it like a literal Latin mass? Zach said, you know, that it was in English. No, it was still English, but it was no. something that you understood. Yeah. It just, you know, was above my head and mm -hmm. didn't really make a lot of sense. And I didn't feel like it was stuff that I could apply to my life. Mm -hmm. and so when I went to church and I heard what I would consider real people talking and sharing. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, I, I, have then, to, I, I have to know how the invitation came about though, because this guy was like, I know you're sort of sweet on me. Would you like to spend the night? And you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Am I ready for this? And he's like, and go to church in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't actually remember. Okay. I, I know at some point he gave me a pass along card. Okay. And he wrote, like Jeremiah something, whatever the one about, I knew you in your womb. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I knew you before, you know, that one. I'm yeah. not a scriptorian. Yeah. And and then and, you just decided, oh, this makes sense and came back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I know this sounds weird, but I babysat a lot and I was around kids a lot and I realized, wow, every kid seems so different. Every baby seems so different. And so like the pre-existence made total sense to me because- yeah. I saw all these babies come and they were so different. And so like, that was a selling point yeah, for me. Yeah. Um, how, how long did yeah. it take you from that, uh, that faded prom night uh, before you were baptized? So I could not get baptized until I was 18. Uh -huh. My parents wouldn't let me. Hardline. So, but I did, I, I was rebellious and I did go to church, uh, every week religiously that's the kind of rebellion you want your kids <laughs> yeah. to be engaging in. i'm going to church mom I, no i think now my mom is my you know my parents have come around my mom's grateful i think for how i've turned out and how uh -huh. my kids are turning out uh -huh. so it's not like they're lining up to get dunked or anything but sure um i lost my train of thought i ADD love brain. i love the but, idea that you're sneaking out and she's like <laughs> She's like, you're not going to church, are you? And she's, and you're like, no, I'm going to have sex. And she's like, fine, that's fine. But don't you dare step into church like that. That idea. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was kind of like that, honestly. It was, it was a rough few years, but I received my young women's medallion before I was okay. a member. Okay. And I got accepted to BYU Idaho before I was a member. So, well, you know, yeah. you, you hear that narrative a lot where people have to, um, or the way that we sort of purport it when we tell the story is that people had to pick. They have to pick between their family and the gospel. And and we sort of, you know, revere these people that turn on their family. I just don't think it has to be that way. Did you feel like you had to pick one or the other? So, no. I'm I'm really close to my family. Like, I love them a lot. But there were a lot of really, really, really hard years. Yeah. Um, particularly around, like, our temple wedding. Uh -huh. Like most people look back and that's like a very joyous day and yeah. it's full of so much love and happiness. I look back and I cry. Yeah. It was a really, really hard time. Like n nobody was there. I had no family. I had no support. You know, you look across the altar and you're like, well, there's nobody there except my best friend from college. Mm -hmm. And so I personally feel like it was an answer to my prayers that they changed it where you can now get married outside of the temple mm -hmm. and then get sealed, you know, two hours later, if that's how you want to do it. Yeah. 
because were you, was there a little bit of you that was like, come on, where was this years ago? Or were you just grateful that it's not going to, you know, hurt the people in the future? I, I mean, I definitely was sad. I had a really long talk with my mom one time about it. And she was like, you know, you really need to move on from this. Like you need to kind of just let go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost 20 years now. And I think I, t- I talked to her around like year 17 um, because I kind of was like, I want to do something maybe for like her. 20th or something to like have my family there yeah but my mom was like don't worry about it like you're good yeah but it it definitely is just like I was struggling to be like I want to teach my kids to get married in the temple and I want my kids to get married in the temple but I don't think I could handle my family not being there for all of my children's weddings like I I just couldn't it was hard yeah. So when they announced that, I was like, thank you. It was answer to my prayers. So, uh, Zach, I got a question for you. How did you talk this woman into marrying you? Because there is a there's an inequity in this. I'm just teasing. <laughs> How did you guys meet? I'm so glad you noticed. <laughs> Me and everyone else, Zach. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, that's a really great question. I don't know. I was not good looking at the time. I had no money at the time. Uh <laughs> I I was full of potential, I guess. She must have okay. seen something because okay. uh, it was definitely like, hey, you're a good looking California girl. And I am a below average Midwesterner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's how did, date. How did, you guys, how did you guys meet? How did this happen? Oh, this is my favorite story. So I was talking to this girl at church. I was at the singles ward in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Okay. And uh, I was just talking to this girl as we were walking out of the out of the church and I saw Darcy and I immediately said, Hey, I got I gotta go. And I turned around and went back inside and caught up with Darcy and was like, Hey, well, they were walking out. And so I thought, gosh, did I, did I miss it? You know, like it was my first time ever going to church anywhere besides California and a BYU Idaho ward, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was very brave. I drove like the 45 minutes into Buffalo Grove to to go to church to prove to my roommates that I wouldn't go inactive if I moved home. Literally, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's basically mm-hmm. like a a dare with my roommates to go. And so I asked him. I was like, "Is the singles ward right now?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." And he followed yeah. me in, and it was like, "I'm poop," and all the guys were flies, mm. and they all kind of like. <laughs> Uh, so it's an interesting vision that you envision yeah. yourself as poop and all the gentlemen as flies. And, I mean, I, and they were old; they were really old. And there were there were a lot of creepers, near thirty year olds, and some thirty. Yeah, plus so old, so old, so old. Well, well when you're eighteen, okay, yeah, and uh, you're used to like a student ward, and you mm-hmm. go there, and you're like, wow, these people can almost be my dad. Like, yeah, it, it was definitely culture shock for me and let's just say I didn't move home because that ward scared me and I was like I'm not I'm not doing this okay but somehow you remained in contact with this guy yeah desperation honestly it was sheer desperation I literally knew no one within like what 2,000 miles Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and so I was desperate I literally was so desperate for someone to hang out with that I actually called him yeah I was like do you want to hang out like there's nothing to do here. It's freezing and there's white stuff on the ground. I don't even know what that is. Hardly. Snow, not cocaine, just for everyone yeah. keeping it. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so we yeah. went, we went uh, gift shopping that night at the mall. Yeah. Our first date was December 23rd. 
Okay. And this guy at the very first store we went into was like, oh, are you guys here to register for your wedding? <laughs> we had known each other exactly 17 minutes at that point. It yeah. was like. Right. And 17 minutes later, we were engaged. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. the guy was right. <laughs> are you here to register? You guys both look at each other. Yeah, sure. Okay. Why not? We got to do this thing. Uh, I, 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 uh, I'm fascinated by that and love that it's, uh, a, a love story of desperation and to fight <laughs> off the creepers uh, really that we're able to that have the way that you characterize that. Yeah. It's actually worked out really well. So yeah, yeah. he fights off the creepers still, even today. Yeah. Every day, all yep. day long. Not the uh, kids though. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, uh, obviously fun to get to know you guys a little bit, but maybe some not ish fun parts uh of your relationship maybe we'll get into some of that stuff uh, we'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall hi friends dan the laptop man here from pc laptops with breaking news windows 11 is now here it's fast it's beautiful and it's super secure so let's make sure your computer is ready to run it if your computer isn't powerful enough will show you what you need to upgrade in your old computer to make it run perfectly. If we can't upgrade your old PC to run Windows 11, we'll buy it from you and give you a credit towards any new PC laptop's computer. Now, our computers start at only $29 a month and we have 12 months special financing. Windows 11 is simply awesome. Bring your old computer into PC Laptops right now because at PC Laptops, we really love you. PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Go to Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It's where you get to hang out with other people who love the Cultural Hall so much that they put a little money towards it every month. This ain't free, people. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. It is the only way that you can get to see the videos of each of these episodes. And I have to compliment the Spaffords on a beautiful map, a wood painted watercolor toned map that is their background. And that's all I'm going to tell you. You have to become a Patreon saint if you want to see uh, the world in which they travel and live. You guys, I want to ask you, uh, because as I go to zachspafford.com, uh, the, the first thing that I am confronted with is thrive beyond pornography. Hi, I'm Zach. I've been where you are. I'll take you from being st stuck to thriving. So maybe we jump right in there. Zach, tell me about what you're talking about. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, I lived in a place called Dugway, Utah. And if you don't know where that is, you're fortunate. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a military proving ground just outside of like Tooele, like an hour outside of Tooele, really. So it's beyond. Anyhow, I found porn for the first time there on that Dugway Proving Ground and in a giant truck tire that smelled like cat pee. So I don't know why I was even in there in the first place. Yeah, sure. uh, and from that point on, you know, I just had this on again, off again struggle with staying away from it, spending time looking for it, finding it, being curious about it. And then as I got to my mission, I kind of put it aside served uh, for two years in Rome, um, and then came home. Uh, all that story you just heard about me and Darcy meeting, that happened about five seconds after I got home from my mission. And 
from that point, it was again, on again, off again, trying to figure out how do I put this behind me and not make it continue to be part of my life. And I went to ARP meetings. So those are the church's 12 step meetings. Mm -hmm. And then I went to, you know, I went to counselors. I worked with five, maybe six bishops um, as we worked and traveled. And about uh, 2012, we had our twins. We had babies number six and six and seven, or five and six at, uh, at, and we had six kids, seven and under. So all of a sudden, there was this extraordinary load on Darcy, just managing household. And she came to me and she said, listen, I don't, I don't need you to go to these meetings anymore. I don't care if you talk to the bishop anymore. I don't care if you go to counselors anymore. I just need you here to help change diapers, put people to bed, wash bodies, all that, Mm -hmm. because it's not getting any better. And unfortunately, what I had found is that I could maintain the same level of pornography viewing year in and year out, but I couldn't get any better. Mm -hmm. And that was the struggle in our marriage where Darcy made it mean that I wasn't, you know, a good husband. And I made it mean that I was a terrible human. And we struggled for a lot of years. And she met me at that door one day and she said, stay here. I don't need you to go to any of those meetings. And so that kind of put it, put it onto me where I was like, oh, I've been, I've been leaning on all these things to show that I was a good dad and a good husband and and go to these meetings to say, yeah, I'm trying, but it was, it wasn't working. And I I think that's the experience of a lot of people that it doesn't work. And then I had to go, okay, well, I still want to solve this problem just because she says, you know, don't go to these meetings. doesn't mean I don't want to solve this problem anymore. So I started to look inside. I started to spend some time uh, understanding my brain, spent some time learning about different processes and techniques that I could use that weren't addiction based. And I started to have success in a way that I didn't, one, didn't think was really possible. And two, that even though it was in fits and starts really started to give me this sense that no this is actually something i can move beyond and you know the title that you see there on the on the page thrive beyond pornography that really that that began at that moment when darcy said you know hey i I need you to stay home and help me but it took another what 10 years to really get to that place no, not quite 10 years, five, five years to get to that place I'm thinking. So, so I want to, I want to dial it back though, a little bit, because I think that there's a tremendous amount of shame here. You are, you know, you, the eight year old kid that finds the pornography on the playground or something. I, I remember, you know, where I found the first like crumpled up piece of magazine also in a tire on a playground though. Uh, oddly enough <laughs> apparently uh, that's where they all hide their poor yeah, right and now porn. kids everywhere are gonna go try and find tires mine was uh, rolled up in the bathroom pipe like my one of my brothers must have shoved it there <laughs> that's where i found my first one <laughs> the u-bend of the sink yeah uh, literally uh, but 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 all to say you know uh, i think that we we sort of are like oh yeah as a kid you probably see that right and there's sort of that kind of gloss over as far as those things go and then i mean you did you did the box you checked the box you went on the mission and did that i would imagine at some point there was that initial conversation post mission you've met uh darcy and maybe you are married at this point or maybe you guys are dating or something and you recognize that this is some sort of an issue however you define that but enough that you need to say hey hey dars uh you need to know this about me and i think for a lot of people there's so much shame around that initial discussion with their partner 
walk it out what was like what it was like for both of you so both sides of that conversation and then also uh like what you determined at that time so that it could be an eventual thrive beyond pornography yeah he literally told that story faster than i've ever heard it mm-hmm. and he left out all the good parts i'm like what are you tell, tell all the good what parts. are you doing zach yeah tell all the good parts <laughs> so we've been married for Gosh, a few months we were in our apartment in BYU, Idaho. And I, I saw the computer screen. There was like bikini pictures uh-huh. and that like set me off. Like I was so upset about it. Why? And then, was it, was there a family thing with you and you're just like, oh no. Or is it just like not in my house, upturn the table with the computer, that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah. So that came later at the, the bikini pictures. I was just upset about. Okay. Right. And I'd kind of always said to him, like, hey, if you look at porn, man, I'm out. Right. Like that was kind of the well, cultural the message, message that I kind of took on, you know, after I joined the church. And I also heard lovely messages like never say no to your husband because he'll cheat on you or look at porn. Right. Yeah, he'll find all it of somewhere those, else if you say no. Yeah. All those lovely cultural conditioning uh, sentences. To be clear, she's being sarcastic and doesn't find them actually lovely. If there's any sort of question, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta donate so you can see my face. There it is. So you know, I appreciate that. (laughs) Anyways, and so, like, fast forward, gosh, 2008. I I can tell you, 2008, September 17th. Darcy's much better at dates. I'm really good at them. (laughs) I uh, open his laptop and I'm like, whoa, because that was like, it was way more than I was expecting to see like a lot more than I was expecting to see on his laptop. And that's when that's like D-Day. That was when I realized, oh, wow, we got a problem here. Uh, We got married in 2003. So that kind of gives you an idea. Mm -hmm. Five years into our marriage is when it all went down and it didn't go down very well. And that computer went down the stairs. Yeah, it it flew (laughs) magically and it didn't break. So. so how did you decide to have the conversation? Because I think that some, you know, they they have suspicions that their partner is doing that or like in your case, they find it, but they but they don't know how to to begin that conversation, to have that conversation, because it oh. can it can end up laptop down the stair kind of. you know. Yeah, well, I just I at that point I, I confronted him and there was no way of denying it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no one in our house old enough that could possibly be on his laptop and uh, it was his work laptop at the time so mm-hmm. nobody else was on it so it was like it clearly I knew it was him mm-hmm. and uh I mean it was definitely it didn't go down well um, so busted Zach so what do you do you're like uh yeah I was yeah. like oh crap I've I'm I'm a terrible person this is this is me being horrible and I've ruined our family and I've ruined our lives and um you know everything that uh, you know we're told porn's going to destroy your life it's going to destroy everything and everything that we we culturally discuss about pornography just kind of came flooding in and it was like oh this is it I guess we're going to get divorced and that's going to be the end of our marriage and I've I've screwed it up it was it was tough it was I it was tough on her it was tough on me you know, I think it's interesting that we, in this day and age, there are still people who are surprised by this conversation. And if if I can give you like one piece of advice, be prepared for this conversation. Realize that it's probably a 
there's a good chance that it's occurring in your in your relationship especially if you haven't discussed it at, at this point hmm. there's a good chance so don't be surprised and just be really willing to hear what's going on for your partner uh, and and not make it about you how, how do you do that in an even killed because I mean, I think that our attitudes have sort of uh, adapted in that it's not as as much shame, certainly, but but still, it's pretty upsetting. You know, people can feel less than that their partner needs to look at, you know, something, or you know, they can they can feel all of those things, and and to be able to walk into a conversation and be like, hey, let's this is a safe place. I think the creating of that safe place in a partnership to talk about pornography is maybe the hardest part. Mm-hmm. How how do we do that? Well, I, I feel like it's just so disorganizing, like in your brain, like for me personally, I had this idea of what my life was like, mm-hmm. what my marriage was like, you know, I envisioned exactly how it was going to play out. Right. Like we all do. Mm-hmm. and when this came out, it was like the whole world just came crashing down on me. And I, I really didn't know how to handle it because up to that point, I didn't know anybody that had this struggle in their marriage that came out on top. Mm -hmm. Right. You always heard all the like, Oh yeah, they got divorced. You know, he looked at porn, you know, Mm -hmm. you heard lots of those messaging. And in fact, the year we got married, there was a huge group of us that got married from the singles branch in California. Mm -hmm. Um, that was kind of where my friend group was. And well, there's only a handful of us actually that are still married, but there are quite a few couples that within the first, you know, few years that it was ended, the marriage ended. Right. And pornography seemed to be involved in those. And Mm -hmm. so in my brain, I thought this was the end. Right. So it was just, not just like the pornography part was so hard, right? Because of course you make it mean all the things you make it mean. Even if you logically know that it's not that, you still make it mean that. Mm-hmm. And then and then on top of that, okay, what's now going to happen to our, our family, right? Like my dream is ending now. Um it was it was really, really hard time. It was five years of very, 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 very hard. And I think, you know, the the church did a lesson on pornography last June, June right? I don't know. I two, think it was, two Junes ago. Yeah. And I watched one of the videos as as we were preparing for it. And it was this man, you know, he's, he didn't shut the computer. And he ends up, you see him packing his stuff and walking out of the house. It's very his, dark tones. And, and his wife's crying and his kids are sad. And like, you know, it was very there was this message, right? Like, Oh, he chose to look at porn and now his family's ending and dad's moving out and you know, the whole world and the whole family's now destroyed. And so for me, that was a super hard video to watch. I went to my stake president and I cried. Mm-hmm. It was like, we cannot show this video to all these young kids who 90% porn. of yep. them are looking at porn. They are looking at porn. Like it's not a question here. Like yep. if you have teens, they're pretty much looking at porn nowadays. Like it's, right. it's so accessible. And that's not to say that it's okay, but it's not it's not about whether or not they're looking at porn. It's how to deal with it is really yeah. the need that yeah. we need to yeah. discuss. Not, oh, if you watch this, it's going to destroy your life. 
it it's just a dis it's it's a disingenuous message one and i don't think it's a message of love it's not the message of the gospel to say if you watch porn it's going to destroy your life sure that's about fear that's about control and that's not the gospel the gospel yeah. is about love and the the atonement and repentance and our capacity to grow beyond a behavior that we've engaged with and that that's one of the things that we and i know you want to talk about this maybe later but when we talk about pornography in terms uh in the terms that we have been as a as a culture um i i won i believe it's actually contrary to the gospel and that's problematic because what happens and this is something that we've been discussing between darcy and i for a lot of years now is when people find that there's this message that doesn't really fit within the gospel doesn't fit within the way that they see the love and the joy that is available within the gospel and we're told well this is the truth and this culture is how you have to live that becomes really disorganizing for people and i think that that's one of the reasons why a lot of people step away from the church as an organization um especially that generation between darcy and i and our children we're we're seeing it pretty significantly mm -hmm. and and we think it's part of the problem is that we're giving people rules-based messages instead of values-based and principles-based messages and this is this is a big deal i think and and you know it shows up in pornography it shows up in things like modesty it shows up in places where we have done a lot of saying do this and we're going to get a specific set of outcomes out of it mm -hmm. that's just not what joseph smith taught he said right. let me teach you correct principles or i teach them correct principles mm -hmm. and they govern themselves not i teach them the rules and we get all the right outcomes right yeah the false narrative kind of circling back and just restating what you what you even said like the the idea that we taught if you look at porn your marriage is over Right. I mean, maybe for some people, if they look at porn, their marriage will be over, but it's not, I have a marriage, I added pornography, now my marriage is over. There is, you know, so much nuance and, you know, can the couple, you know, figure those things out and what does it mean? And, and even just the idea of like what, uh, what porn is and what being addicted to porn or the possibility of addiction to porn and all, you know, there's so many well, uh, can I just jump in there with you? Yes. Because I'll be honest with you. I don't know anyone who I I work with people who view pornography every day. This is all I do. I don't have another job. Mm -hmm. I've never met a porn addict. So yep. let me just kind of let me define yep. that for you. I was going to say you're going to have to because people go, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> wait, hey. Wait a minute. My husband's a porn addict, right? Um, the truth is so when I was a missionary, I, I served in Rome. I got on a train. And a woman got on the train behind us. So me and my companion are sitting there. We make eye contact with this woman. There's no question that we all see each other. And in that moment, she takes out some stuff and starts shooting heroin. She is, so I'm in Naples, Italy, which beautiful place, but some some people are destitute, right? Mm -hmm. And she's shooting heroin on this train. She needed that heroin. She did not care that we saw her engaging in that activity. Didn't matter to her. She just needed it. Now. Every person I've ever asked this question to has given me essentially the same answer. What would you do if someone walked in on you viewing pornography? They all say, oh, I would stop immediately. I would hide it. I would pretend like I wasn't watching it. I would put myself in a position to where uh, I, I was able to deny that I was doing anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever goes, oh, hey, one, one moment. This is my favorite part. I just need to finish this. 
I've never had anybody say that. Sure, sure. So that tells me that this is not about you have no capacity to control your behavior. It tells me more so that you're ashamed of the behavior. Hmm. And so to me, this narrative of I'm an addict, one, it puts us in a position of being a victim of something we can't control. Sure. But the but the story I just told you, the the, the process that I just laid out for you shows that you do actually have control. But what you've done in a lot of instances is created a habit, a process to manage your emotions and manage your life and help you maybe solve for some discomfort. And that habit is creating something that you don't want in your life. It's turning you into someone who's not choosing your values at, at various points in your in your life. And this was kind of a really big turning point for me was when I started to realize, because, okay, when he looked at porn, I was like 122 pounds. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you're going to look at porn. You're going to have fat wife. Like that's it. Right. And I started show him. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. I mean, really stupid. Don't recommend it. But I started turning to food. Right. Uh So whenever I was upset, I would eat Uh and that started and I slowly gained weight and now I am what I am. But started to help me see like, wow, we actually are doing the same exact thing, Hmm. right? He's really stressed at work. He's overwhelmed with the kids and the finances and all the things that he has on his plate. And his outlet was to turn to pornography. And for me, when I was really stressed out and I couldn't handle life, I would turn to food. And so when I started to realize that we were really just doing the same thing, just with different behaviors. Mm -hmm. It opened up a world of possibilities for me. And it helped me to see Zach in a way different light than the way I viewed him before. Because for so many years, I looked at him as broken, kind of disgusting, not, you know, like if I'm being honest, like I, like what kind of man looks at porn? Like, you know, that's in my brain wasn't a very good man. And so now I like to say that there's a lot of really good men that look at porn. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth of it. And I think, honestly, some of the really best men actually look at porn. Which is an odd statement. I just want to throw that out there. I know. If you just are listening to that particular portion, you go, (laughs) Don't put that as a soundbite. Yeah, nope. Just soundbiting it. And that that will be how we tease this. Uh, I want to take... Hey, that'll get a lot of people's attention. I'll I'll be honest with you. (laughs) There it is. But but I want to be be clear because I don't want to draw... We don't want to draw a moral equivalency to viewing pornography and eating food. And we also want to be really sensitive to the fact that this is discon. It's disorganizing, and it's it, it it creates a great deal of discomfort within relationships. Sure. sure. And, and and we don't want to. I hope nobody listening to this thinks that we are apologists for pornography, um, or that we think it's okay in any way. And we fully recognize because we went through it, the pain that this particular struggle can create within a marriage. But we. But we also want to be really clear about what it is and what it isn't. And what it is, it's it, it's a behavior that helps people manage their discomfort. What it isn't, uh, we believe, is not an addiction. It's not the end of your marriage. It's not you know going to destroy anything. Because statistically speaking, if it was going to destroy your marriage, it would have done, right? Like 80%, something like 80% of all men view pornography. Uh, on a, than that. And the other twenty percent lie a, about it. 
Yeah, the other twenty. Yeah. Maybe not, but uh, on a on a monthly basis, something like sixty five percent of all women view pornography on a monthly basis. So what you see there is like no more than eighty percent of marriages would succeed, or sorry, no more than twenty percent of marriages yeah. would succeed. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to be really clear about what it is and what it isn't, so that we can actually deal with the problem instead of blaming something that people are using as a as a way to scapegoat it, like. If you get divorced in the church and you say, my husband was a porn addict, it in a very real sense, it automatically absolves you of any responsibility within that marriage. Right, right. So we have to be really clear. And, and again, not that, not that it's not painful, not that it's not a struggle, not that it's not something that you're going to have to work to resolve, mm-hmm. but that it isn't the thing that has to destroy everything. Yeah, I think yours is, has been more, at least the way that I have interpreted it, is more of an idea of hope in that it's like it it may be a lot of things, but also you can find your way through to another side of it. And it doesn't have to mean all the things that we think that it means. Let's take a break again. Uh, when we come back, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps in the cultural hall. I'll ask you those as well as uh, maybe we'll we'll just quickly address a thing that if someone is listening to this and hasn't had that initial conversation about uh, pornography viewage uh, with their spouse, uh, maybe maybe a couple tips that they can do to be able to set the table for that conversation. We'll come back and we'll do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Bestdjinutah.com is a website that you need to go to if you would like to party with me. Now, just because it says Utah as part of the URL does not mean that it has to be in the state of Utah. I've traveled to such illustrious places as Wyoming, Nevada, Texas, Washington, and others, Idaho as well. If uh, if you're having an event and you think, you know what, I would love the energy, the charisma that is Richie uh, to be able to bless the event. I don't know why I said bless. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Maybe you, you yourself are getting married or has been the case multiple times this year. You are the apparent not a parent, just the parent, uh, or one of the parents, because there's multiple parents. I'm getting distracted. You are one of the parents of the bride or groom, and you think, Richie would be great to be at this event. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Be sure that you mentioned uh, that you hear it on the cultural hall. I may, in fact, even get you a little bit of a discount. Who knows? We'll see how I feel that day. It's bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember, just like Amanda did, you can always reach out to the Cultural Hall and say, hey, you know what? It would be a great guest for the Cultural Hall, and you can recommend it. You can find us on Facebook at the Cultural Hall. We're over on Instagram as well, uh, or you can send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. What I loved is uh, in the uh, break that we took between the second and the third block, uh, the Spaffords asked me, do people actually donate money to this? <laughs> and I know that they didn't mean it like that, but... 
you can prove this backwards wrong, uh, you can go to patreon.com. Guys, it was Darcy. It wasn't me. Yeah, okay. I just own that comment. Whoa. How does that bus feel as it ran you over yeah. there, Darcy? How did that oh, feel? Shame fest right now. So uh, I'm listening to this. I have a, a partner, whether it be a dating partner or a marital partner. Uh, I've got a tremendous amount of shame, whether it's familial or religious. Uh, I don't know how to have that conversation with uh with my partner um but but i feel like it's time whether this conversation has been the tipping point or something else i don't want to be busted i don't want to be caught in the act i'd like to be proactive about it what are some things that that would help that to be a successful first conversation i'd love it from both of your perspectives you want me to start you can all right all right sorry you can so i think that. i think for the the person who's choosing pornography uh, it's it's really important to start by recognizing that no matter what your spouse says, whatever they do in terms of freaking out, um, that's not necessarily about you. It's about their emotions around this issue. Mm-hmm. And it's it's worthwhile to be able to stand there in the breach and and deal with whatever it is that that looks like mm-hmm. and and make a commitment. Um, I would highly recommend that you don't commit to never viewing pornography again, not because that's not what you want in the end, but because it it might not be true. Uh, If you don't have the right coping skills, if you don't have the the appropriate mechanisms in place, um, which are the things that, you know, Darcy and I teach both on our podcast uh, and in our membership, as well as in our individual coaching, those you you're probably not going to cold turkey one day just be like i'm never looking at porn again and move on um i think i think that uh, a lot of people think that they're going to have an alma the younger moment where all of a sudden everything changes and they become a good person and for most people that's just not the case it's more about putting in the time creating new habits practicing those habits outside of game time which is you know when your brain is not offering you porn Mm -hmm. and getting to a place where you actually have the skill set to leave pornography behind. But I would say make a commitment that you'll try, that you'll keep working, and that you'll stay committed to the relationship that you have between you and your spouse, if that's what you want to do. And then, uh, again, don't make it mean anything about you when your wife throws your laptop down the stairs. But make it mean, hey, I see that this isn't who I want to be. And then and then just be as honest as you can about it. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up with the promise of never viewing it again, because it almost can be even more detrimental because it's a thing where then you promise something that likely you're not going to be able to keep. And then it's like, oh, you told me this thing. Then you made a promise and then you couldn't even keep the promise after this horrible thing. And it just you you don't want to yeah, put yourself you, you perpetuate in that a cycle of distrust. And that's not very helpful if you want to rebuild your relationship. Darcy, what about you? How do we avoid the laptop going down the stairs? <laughs> you may not. Yeah. You may Have not a conversation with me. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, when I was listening to Zach, it just, a lot of things came up for me. And it's that one, realizing that what your partner is doing is really about your partner. You know, we really take on, as women, we take on a lot. You know, we are the caretakers. We try to make sure that everything's running smoothly. And when our partner is choosing to look at porn, it's very upsetting. It's Mm -hmm. it's hard. Mm -hmm. And so just realizing that it's not your problem to solve. 
Because I think for a lot of women, we kind of go into control mode. We try to start controlling everything. We are, you know, I got to fix this. So we try to fix our partner. We try to help them succeed. Because one, it makes us feel like maybe we do have some control over it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. we, the truth is we really don't. Like there's nothing that you can do to make it so your partner never never looks at porn again. And I think that's not to say that it's not painful. Right. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, your partner's actions don't make you feel bad. Your thoughts make you feel bad. Or that's that that sort of narrative where the person that is in front of you telling you this thing that is really outside of the bounds of what you had anticipated would be part of your marriage. uh, To to say to somebody, well, that shouldn't hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, you'd have to be a psychopath for it to not be painful in some way. So it's really important to recognize that, but it's also really important to recognize uh, that they're not trying to hurt you and that they probably, if they're coming to you and having this conversation with you, they probably want to resolve it themselves. They probably have punched themselves in the face so many times over this, uh, figuratively at least, that they're not there just saying, here's this problem, let me drop it at your doorstep and I'm good. They're probably saying, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to get help. I don't know how to resolve this for myself. And I just want to share with you what's going on for me. And especially probably more in that situation where they're proactively going about it rather than reactively being caught. If they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm exhausted. I need to share this with you. You are my life partner. Here's here's what's going on. I appreciate right. too the idea of the control because I think we all do that, right? We're going to have a hundred passwords and I'll have the other part of it. And I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back Check to the Check your browser his, your, history. You, yeah, and... yeah. yeah. All those things that we think that we can control that can change it. I mean, sure, we can control those things, but I don't think that that, that changes the outcome. I think it's, you know. Like, we always kind of joke about like, we can certainly help you like quit porn cold turkey, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can put you somewhere where you have no internet, you have no access to anything. You know, it's kind of like the biggest loser, mm-hmm. right? Like they all lose weight when they're on the biggest loser ranch, sure. right? Sure. Because when they get into real life, what happens? They gain it all Most back. It right, back. right, right. Right. And so realizing that it is a process, you know, I think for me, that was a big aha moment was when I realized, okay, this is a process. I think in the beginning, I wanted him to just say, okay, commit now that you will never look at porn again. Right. right. Like that's what I was making him say to me. Cause right. If, if you did, I'm out. Right. And so I wanted him to tell me that he would never look at it again, because then that made me feel better. Right. Like it gave me this sense of peace and calm a bit that like, okay, he's, he's committed. He's not going to do it again. I I, I really wanted to trust him. And, and after years, I realized, okay, that's really not the right approach because I'm asking him to commit to something that he can't commit to. Right. And so being willing to hear the honest truth from your partner, I think is huge and not expecting them to lie to you. Yeah. Just to make you feel better. Um, and, and being able to, being willing to mourn the relationship that you don't have anymore. Sure. I think a lot of people, I mean, uh, Esther Perel, I think, who talks about affairs quite a bit, she is a phenomenal um, therapist, but she she says you're going to be married to three to five people in your lifetime, and that may all be to the same person. So, you know, being willing and able and capable of mourning a relationship that you thought you had and 
will give you the space to create the relationship that you actually want and, thrive, oh, and to create a thriving relationship. A lot of hope uh, that shared in the message that you guys had. You mentioned that you guys coach and podcast and all those things. If people are listening to this and they're like, yes, these guys are my jam. You bet. I love this. Where can people get more of you and what you guys do? I think it's funny that that we love to talk about porn so much that like when you're like, this is my jam, that's exactly how we feel about yeah, porn's it. my jam. Wait a minute. Huh? That's a and that's, yeah, that's a weird thing to say in, in our church culture. But uh, you can find us at uh, Thrive Beyond Pornography. That's our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Darcy does most of the Instagramming for us because I am not as much Instagram, but it's. Uh, and I mostly take care of eight children in homeschool. Right. So, so I'm not super consistent. <laughs> That's something I commit to do and I fall short. Yep. <laughs> but it's thrive beyond underscore for couples. Awesome. Awesome. There and are you three... can find us at zackspafford.com. So and we'll have links for all that in the yeah. uh, show notes for this episode. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I will ask those each of you at this time. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I am the Sunday school president in our ward. And Darcy is the mom of eight children. No, I, have, a, I actually have do calling? have a calling. Yes. I have no, oh, I have no busted, idea. Zach. <laughs> I'm on the party planning committee. Yeah, you are. Society. Yeah, baby. Because when you bring those eight kids anywhere, it's a party. It, it's funny, you know, because when we started our business, we lived in Wisconsin for 18 months. So mm -hmm. that means, you know, I'm in the Relief Society presidency. Zach's in the bishopric. Then you come back to Utah. And it's like, okay, now you're on the activities committee and you're Sunday school president. Yeah. But Zach's dream calling is actually gospel doctrine teacher. I love gospel. Doctrine. That's my next question. If you could pick a calling, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Uh, no, definitely gospel doctrine. I think that that is the most important calling in the church for adults, period. Because it's the one place where I think as adults, we get to, um, you know, kids have seminary and kids have, uh, youth activities and kids have all but for adults we don't have a lot of that like let's sit down and let's actually have a gospel discussion let's talk about our feelings and our sense and our faith and our uh you know where i am as as a as a human in my journey back towards my heavenly father so for me it's just the most phenomenal fun place to just discuss uh discuss the gospel love it i love it darcy what about favorite? you what would be my dream calling? Yeah, what would you pick? If you could make one up or pick one that exists, what would you pick? So I would say young women's, but that's just because my girls want me there. Okay. So. Fair enough. By the way, Darcy has never, not once, ever spoken in church from the pulpit. Good. I said yes. I've only been asked twice my uh -huh. entire career, which is so weird. Like, uh -huh. I I love that you call it a church career. And why have you never spoken? I get so scared. Yeah. I'm so scared to get up in front of people. And also, I don't know, not growing up in the church and then joining the church. To me, a lot of ways, this sounds weird, I realize. But I'm like, that's kind of personal. That's like, hmm. that's, I don't, I don't know, like. I didn't grow up like getting up and giving primary talks and sharing yeah. my testimony and doing the like five things. And, yeah. you know, so I just, I think a lot of um, gospel discussions and sharing, I like to do on more like one-on-one -on -one basis. I've taught sure. Relief Society and stuff, but 
Yeah. So I said, yes, I'm totally scared. It's November 20th. There you go. There you go. I, yeah, I, I actually am like, well, I will for sure write it. And if I can't deliver it, I will make Zach do it. There you go. Cause there he would go. talk every Sunday in church. He loves speaking. Yeah. People are like, if we can make him not speak this Sunday. No, actually, when he speaks, literally people come up and say, can I get a copy of your talk? I'm like, what? I'm just excited, Darcy. You're not going to keep your light under a bushel anymore. November 20th. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, All right. Final question that I ask uh, you to interpret however you may. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Nobody go first. Yeah. The atonement. I know that's probably super cliche to say, but agency is the reason we're here. Agency is 100% why we are here. The atonement is the thing that makes agency possible. Without the atonement, we don't get to choose. We don't get to make the mistakes. We don't get to fall on our faces and get back up and move in the right direction. We get stuck if we don't have the atonement. And so the the atonement is, is just this amazing transcendent thing that allows us to screw everything up and still get to go forward. That's why I like it. All right, Darsh, bring it home. All right. I would say for me, it, it, well, like one of the huge things for me was just the plan of salvation, right? Is realizing where we came from, why we're here and where we're going. And that, that was a huge, when I joined the church, that was aha for me. Like that was what sealed the deal. Nice. And just knowing why we're here. And you can hear her speak. We'll make that zoom available for everyone <laughs> to be able to hear in the cultural hall. Uh, Darcy, Zach Spafford, thank you for being here. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.